It's about re-legalizing those neighborhood commercial nodes. It's about re-legalizing mixed use and making sure that we can have those organic developments that make people happy. On the fringes of downtown, we have a pharmacy still. We have three grocery stores that are still operating in downtown or near downtown. We still have great mixed-use neighborhood nodes that support local schools running down major commercial corridors. Uh, Seeing an old house become a tattoo shop and art gallery space is enhancing the neighborhood and enhancing the community just as much as if we were going, or maybe even more on a financial level, than if we were just marching toward the highway. You're listening to The Strong Towns Podcast. What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, community builder at Strong Towns, and I'm taking over the Strong Towns podcast this week to share on-the-ground stories from the final four communities in our Strongest Town competition, which includes Beloit, Wisconsin, Winona, Minnesota, Hamilton, Missouri, and Watertown, South Dakota, about how they've embraced Strong Towns principles to make their community stronger. In this episode, I chat with Luke Sims of Winona, Minnesota. Give it a listen, and if you're inspired by the steps Winona has taken to become more financially strong and resilient, visit strongtowns.org slash journal slash final dash four to submit your vote. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Luke Sims of Winona, Minnesota. Luke, what's going on, friend? How are you today? Feeling pretty good. Um, it's very exciting here in Winona. Lots of things going on. Um, happy to be here. Happy to chat with you about our town. Yeah, so excited to have you on the podcast. Life in Winona is good these days. Y'all feeling good? Yeah, we're feeling pretty good. Um, you know, it's a stressful time for a lot of parts of the country, but right now um, we're, we're enjoying it all the same. Good. I'm happy to hear it, Luke. Well, Luke, this is going to be a lot of fun. I know I speak on behalf of the Strong Town staff and the rest of the movement when say, you know, we really enjoyed this whole process of the Strongest Town competition and learn about different communities across North America, the cool things they're doing to become more financially resilient, and the opportunities that they see in their communities to maybe step up their game a little bit and make some small bets to boost their own resiliency. And as we find ourselves here today, um, the voters of the Strong Towns movement um, have advanced Winona, Minnesota to the final four of the Strongest Town competition. So super excited to chat with you, learn more about what's happening in your community. To get us started, Luke, would you mind introducing yourself and sharing what do you do in the city of Winona? Where do you fit in the community? Uh, My name is Luke Sims, and I moved here about five years ago after my wife interviewed at um, our local university, Winona State University. And we walked around the town and we thought, wow. This is this is a place that we could definitely live in. Uh, it's a city of twenty seven thousand people, so it's the smallest place we've lived in, and it it really it really just has a lot going for it. And we've been so pleased to be here. And the doors opened up for me. Um, I got into city planning, and I hit it at the right time. I entered a, an office that just had a city planner retire after forty some years, and um, so I'm working for the city of Winona now. 
And I was looking through, I think it was the second round of submissions with all the photo essays and y'all sharing like the best images that best represented Winona. And you're exactly right. It is a stunning city. I know we'll talk more about today, but like at the corner stores, the neighborhood bars all tucked into this fantastic traditional development pattern that y'all have continued to invest in. A really fantastic site. Luke, I want to flash back, you know, earlier this month, a few weeks ago. Throughout your time in Monona, what have you been observing that inspired you to, you know, submit Winona as an applicant for the Strongest Town competition? You know, Winona, when, when I spoke about it having great bones in, my, in the first submission for this process, it really strikes you. Uh, you. You roll into the community and you just start walking around. You, you can. It's so inviting. There's sidewalks everywhere. The buildings all kind of engage with the street and there's such a varied amount of architecture and interests. So you're walking and you go from you know, great Victorian downtown buildings to, you know, a suddenly Richardsonian Romanesque pizza shop. And then a few blocks later, <laughs> you're in the Mississippi River. I mean, that's fantastic. I like that. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about downtown. I know um, you said it has great bones and Strong Towns listeners, whenever we often use that phrase, we're often referring to a community's uh, development pattern, as we've seen in Winona and several other cities across North America. This pre-World War II development pattern where, as Luke said, we have the wide sidewalks, likely narrow streets, very adaptable buildings where we've seen several different businesses um, be able to thrive, whether it's, you know, the barbershop and the corner store, the neighborhood bar. Whenever we have this development pattern and invest in it, not only do we see a boost in resiliency and of course um, it's a more financially productive development pattern. But as we get on the neighborhood level, I imagine we often catch ways that this development pattern makes our places more livable. I'm curious for you, Luke. We know, of course, that the traditional development pattern in Winona is hugely productive financially for Winona. But what else have you observed actually walking through downtown that's additional benefits for this kind of development pattern even beyond um, what it does financially? You know, what you see is is kids playing in the street. And I think I, I didn't grow up in that development pattern. I grew up in typical post-World War II suburban vomit. And what what you see here is you still see kids, um, you know, running around, playing games in the streets, riding their bikes in the streets, learning to ride their bikes in the streets. And I, I live across the street from a bus stop and I see all the kids walk over there and then get on the bus and go to school. But there's also, you know, neighborhood schools still. Uh, just a block away from my house, there's a school that's expanding and choosing to do so. And they're building out, you know, they have a great old brick and stone school, and they're going to be doing a much larger new pattern uh, or new building adjacent to that. And we continue to see that type of investment. Um, we see it, you know, we have a basilica that takes up almost an entire city block here in our town. And right next to that, in that same block, we have a, a corner store and then, you know, kitty corner on another block. There's another corner store and then the East End Recreation Center where kids, you know, come to go play and run around and learn how to become beekeepers. And that's, that's rare, I think, in a lot of communities. Or if it's not rare, it needs to be celebrated more. And that's one of the reasons why I love Winona is that I can talk about basically anything that's happening in this community 
and become really passionate and excited about it and want to share it with other people. And I know, particularly because of the Strongest Towns contest, you know, we're not necessarily alone. There are tons of great cities with those opportunities, with those great experiences that come from that development pattern. And so we're, we're a little bit landlocked uh, because of these large bluffs and because of the Mississippi River. And so we're kind of forced into that pattern. Um, but it's observable in everyday life from young children up to senior citizens. You know, where, where is your senior, senior center? And uh, for example, ours is right in downtown in an old historic theater. And right now the city is talking about potentially moving it. And it's where can we move it where it's still accessible? And that means partnering with the East End Rec Center, most likely. And those conversations are, are critical for a community. Don't just put it way out in the fringes of town. Make sure that people can actually access it where they live. The way you're describing what's known as a whole loop reminds me of this term that I've been seeing, of course, a lot on the Strongtown site these days, but also just like urbanist Twitter as a whole. And that's the concept of, you know, these 15-minute neighborhoods where we're building places where we can actually achieve the day's needs, whether it's you know, going to school, getting groceries, getting some some recreation in, all within our neighborhood, not having to, you know, hop in the whip and, as you said, drive several miles on the fringes of town just to be able to, you know, have a beer with a friend or hang out in the public space. Was this purposeful for Nona? I know, of course, in the downtown, it was just a byproduct of your ancestors <laughs> uh, or the former Winona folk long before um, where we find ourselves today. But was there a shift in how Winona, you know, approached planning to build more places like this? Yeah, there was a shift. There was a, a turn toward the core of the city. So if you go back and you look at old planning documents for the city of Winona, and we had our own experiences where we went through, uh, you know, urban renewal, just like a lot of communities did. And the the goal was always how can we become more like you know the insert x bland suburb um and march further and further out if we go back and we look at the 1994 comprehensive plan the goal was to march through the bluffs and get to the open land near the highway um, and then in 2007 the the comprehensive plan completely flipped and it was let's reinvest in the core of the city we're nervous about the fact that People are just, you know, detaching and being uh, essentially bedroom communities. We want to see that reinvestment back in the core. And that led to a number of changes. Um, I spoke about it briefly in the photo section of this, but it's about re-legalizing those neighborhood commercial nodes. It's about re-legalizing mixed use and making sure that we can have those organic developments that make people happy. On the fringes of downtown, we have a pharmacy still. We have three uh, grocery stores that are still operating in downtown or near downtown. Uh, we still have great mixed-use neighborhood nodes that support uh, local schools running down major commercial corridors. Uh, seeing an old house become a tattoo shop and art gallery space is enhancing the neighborhood and enhancing the community just as much as if we were going, to, or maybe even more on a financial level, than if we were just marching toward the highway. And, and we see that, and it's really good that the community has responded since that 2007 comprehensive plan and putting new rules in place with a zoning overhaul in 2017. And we continue to, we continue to have new ideas that take shape and, and want to be integrated, like, you know, Airbnbs, making sure that we have accessory dwelling units available for people. 
And tweaking those rules is always part of that as well. And there's always an incrementalism to that. I think that Chuck once spoke, once spoke about it when he got into the planning commission up in Brainerd and how sometimes you, you make a small step forward and that, that, that is that first step, and it's just as crucial as having a comprehensive overhaul. And, and we've made a lot of those progress, or a lot of those little steps so far, um, and we're seeing the investment. Uh, people are buying up old schools and turning them into apartments. People are turning one of those former corner store buildings into a house, or flipping it from a house back to a corner store. Fantastic. <laughs> And I love this story. I was even looking at, you know, some of the big economic development wins for Winona. I think you mentioned Fastenal, Windcraft, Winona Canoe, a lot of great major economic wins for Winona. But in contrast, you know, it's not just the major employers that Winona is showing love to and celebrating. From what I understood from your submission, you are also ensuring that, again, thinking back to the story that you're sharing of how can we redevelop or find new adaptations of existing buildings, it sounds like you're also getting some like local entrepreneurs and local small-scale developers involved in this process. Can you speak a little bit more to that? And you know, as Winona is embracing all these regulatory changes to ensure that all neighborhoods can adapt and evolve as needed, how are you getting some of you know, those local folk involved in this process? Yeah, one of the things that's been preached from city administration essentially since I've been here, uh, we've had a city manager who's been excellent for for four years, and the the thing that we've been focusing on is outdoor rec, entrepreneurship, and the arts. And I think that seeing businesses like Winona Canoe, but then also Sanborn Canoe and Merrimack Canoe, which are smaller, they all are, are existing and investing as well. They're buying up small properties and opening opening shops or they're, for example, Merrimack Canoe, which was purchased and they moved production down to Winona and they, you know, they expanded production there in that facility. Um, we're also seeing a, a fantastic uh, organization down here, uh, Great River Kombucha, and they, they identified Winona that this is the market they want to start their business in. And finding them a spot and making sure that we can actually work with them to do that. Uh, and the city also has been really trying to make sure that the connections between its higher education institutions, because we have St. Mary's University, Winona State University, and Minnesota State College Southeast, continues to be a productive relationship. And that's something that a lot of town and gown um, communities struggle with, is how do you connect with that university? And uh, we, we targeted creating a co-working space, which is a partnership between uh, the business school at Winona State University, the Chamber of Commerce, our local Hiawatha Broadband Corporation, and the city of Winona and the Port Authority as well. And we want to make sure that we have accessible spaces where we can grow these businesses. If you have an idea, we want to make sure that we bend over backwards so that you can do that. There should be a platform in place for you to be able to grow your business. And that's, that's one of the points of emphasis that we've really wanted to, to strive toward is how can we turn Winona into a place of opportunity so it isn't just a hidden gem in southeastern Minnesota, but a place where people want to come and devote themselves to an idea because it's such a great place to be. And it sounds like from all the great examples you just shared, Luke, you're really lowering the barrier to entry to participate in public life in Winona however that may look for an individual, whether that's, you know, I have an idea and I want to start a business or, you know, I'm a young person and I want to 
you know, find some affordable housing and you have an opportunities to have ADUs in the backyard or, you know, maybe allow people to build that single family home and turn it into a duplex or fourplex. Thinking back on all these great regulatory changes that Winona has made since that shift in 2007, I'd like to hear from you, you know, what, what are you most proud of looking past on these past 13 years that, you know, what little wins have you seen that you think have most lowered that barrier to entry for people to actually participate and enjoy life in Winona? From a, from a geeky city planning side, <laughs> I love the mixed use zoning. Um, I yeah. love that we were able to say, listen, we have a great downtown. Let's re-legalize it. We have a great fringe around this downtown. Let's re-legalize it. But the one that I really love, and my fellow city planner here in town would probably thank me for saying it, is this mixed use neighborhood idea. The idea that you should be able to have incremental growth within a neighborhood and that it can be a storefront on the first floor and then it can be an apartment above it and it's not going to somehow be this the, this end of times um, for a community. Instead, it's going to enhance the character. And we, we, still, we still had the benefit of seeing those neighborhood shops around and having them. I mean, I don't know how many other communities have a, an ice skating repair shop just sitting on a corner store, uh, but we have that. We still have laundromats that, that are around and serving their local neighborhoods. And being able to capitalize on that and say, yeah, if you want to do that, let's make sure that we're actually working with the neighborhoods to, to see where that's most appropriate. Uh, one of the recent planning efforts that we went through, and it was really led by a local organization named Engage Winona. Uh, Engage Winona led this East End planning idea project that really focused on how we can get a neighborhood identity cultivated and kind of target some of those those platform ideas. You know, it's a platform for building wealth. It's a platform for generating and, and capitalizing on ideas and how we can enhance that. Uh, Winona has a great intrepid spirit on its east end of town where we predominantly had uh, Polish immigrants for a long period of time. And the development pattern looks slightly different from the rest of the community. We're talking 25 foot wide lots with shotgun houses. And, uh, and within those neighborhoods, we have you know, the Polish Stock Exchange building and the Winona Athletic Club building, uh, which operates as a bar. And these are, these are points of community that we see. And so one of, the, one of the great projects that we've seen kind of come forward since the city refocused on the core of the city is uh, Sobieski Park, which is a park adjacent to Gabrick Park, which is a baseball field. And they said they wanted a new pavilion and they banded together and they essentially funded this great pavilion. Uh, and it's more than a pavilion. It's, it's a whole building. It's a phenomenal building. And they worked with our park and recreation department to make sure that everything could come together and they got what they view as a centerpiece to their neighborhood and community. And, and that, that's incredibly important. That adaptability is so important. And I'm so glad that Winonans continue to choose to reinvest in themselves in that way. Luke, Winona is landlocked, <laughs> surrounded by bluffs. It's a city literally built on an island in the Mississippi River. You know, it sounds like y'all made a very purposeful and methodical decision to not build through the bluffs towards the highway. A lot of people could see themselves being landlocked as, you know, as a negative. You know, maybe they're focusing on affordable housing and they think the only way that they can make that happen is to build on the edge of town, find, find some cheap land, 
build some homes, voila, you have your affordable housing. It sounds like with Winona, because you guys were landlocked, you were forced to, you know, confront the things that you had already built. And thankfully, as you've explained so well today, you really took advantage of that. You looked at the regulatory changes. What can we do to make sure all these neighborhoods can adapt and evolve? I understand you've also removed parking minimums, which is a huge win. As you've been discussing with your fellow city planners, your constituents, as you know, new challenges will arise, whether that's affordable housing um, or how do we just make the best use of our existing land, existing places we built, what's the conversation like happening within the city of Winona to make sure that, yeah, despite not having a bunch of cheap land everywhere, that we can still make sure that we're building places that, you know, get everyone involved and can still provide affordable housing. What's that conversation like in Winona? Yeah, I, I think to some extent we'll see some houses pop up in the bluffs. Uh, we know that that will happen and they'll be a part of our community as well. But the actual conversation that happens about infill is very interesting in part because there isn't a lot of free open space. Uh, we do have a current development going on. It's 18,000 square feet of grade A commercial space, 60 housing units, and a school. And uh, the school's open, the housing units are getting done, and they're planning phase two, which is another 23 units. But that took a block, a whole city block that was a Hardee's surrounded by parking. That's an easy win by virtue of change. It becomes more complicated when you start talking about what is the highest and best use for this neighborhood and how do we adapt it to integrate that highest and best use. I think a really good example of those changes was our recent school adaptation conversations that occurred with Madison School and Central School, which were two local core core community schools that were recently shut down by the Winona area public schools. And we had previously seen reinvestment with our old high school and our old middle school that became phenomenal apartments. Uh, and those are right on the fringes of downtown. And so we knew that multifamily housing could be a potential good fit, but we wanted to make sure that we actually reach out and ensure that the community is heard through that conversation. And this is another example where we partnered with Engage Winona to lead community conversations. And it, it's more than just having one person up front and talking at a group of people. It's about having small work sessions led by the individuals that might be affected and having those different conversations evolve and then report back out. And so I felt like that was a great conversational piece. I felt like it was phenomenal. And it really displayed the differences, even though we were dealing with two schools, both in the core of the city, the neighborhoods are different. The neighborhoods are, they had different priorities. Uh, one felt that they wanted to immediately see as much investment as possible in that one city block where that school existed. And so they went through and they, we did a mixed use neighborhood zone on that whole block. And we thought, great, this will fit in great for the community. You know, we might see an outward facing amenity like a coffee shop or an ice cream shop. Uh, and, the, and the developers of that property want to just redevelop within the footprint of that building. And on the other side, we saw uh, an urban residential designation with multi-unit um, housing coming forward, over 20 units. And then they carved off because the community said that they really wanted to make sure that, that public space wasn't lost in any way. We actually carved off and made a new city park. And, and we're committed to, to having that be under control of park and recreation because the community definitely displayed that that was a priority for them. And those conversations are difficult to have because 
these places have acted as polling places. They've acted as centers of community. They've acted as the places where these people, these people's children go to school. Some of them went to school in these, in these community schools because they've been around since the thirties and seeing that next chapter can be difficult and it can be a painful conversation, but it can also be a productive conversation and one that leads to financial resilience and reinvestment in your community. So it sounds like through Engage Winona, I mean, Luke, you guys are actually demonstrating what the value of small bets can look like. You know, maybe you have these residents who are observing needs in their neighborhood. You know, maybe they do want that ice skating repair spot on the corner, or they want to see a pizza shop. They want to have some more services and amenities in the neighborhood. I love this story of, you know, actually the city coming in, doing some of these workshops and helping what it sounds like give residents the language and seeing, you know, the small bets, whether that's, you know, a tweak in some regulations to actually make some of these goals in the neighborhood happen. Have you noticed throughout the process of Engage Winona, working with different neighborhoods that more residents are seeing the value of some of these small bets that they can take? I definitely think that we are seeing it. I think incrementalism is part of the character of Winona. A lot of people, whether they realize it or not, they interact with parts of the community that that are adaptable. They interact with parts of the community where you have a diverse uh, amount of ownership. So it's not just one person owning, you know, 70% of the commercial landscape or you're not just invested in one person owning, you know, four blocks of housing all in a row. P- people still engage with each other on a very personal level here. And uh, I'm going to, again, we've been talking about Engage Winona because I do want to highlight the fact that a city is only as good as its community and its community partnership. And uh, Brian Vording's the head of that organization. And he he started a, a, mo- a listening movement in 2015 that and created this Engage Winona report, essentially, that helps to guide fitting in these, these projects with the goals from the 2007 comprehensive plan. And then now we're ramping up to our next comprehensive plan, all these new arts plans and, and complete streets policies and pedestrian and bicycle plans and our, our bridging the bluffs flyway trail campaign, which is run by community members that are from Wisconsin. It's phenomenal to, to really see that social interaction develop organically and I don't know that any community can be successful without having people step up in the way that we've had that organization and all of the people uh, involved in that organization step up. I know co-creating the city can be a cliche term. Like if I were to look it up on the internet, I'd probably find headline on headline sprawling every page of Google. But as you're describing it, Luke, it sounds like you guys are actually living out this phrase. You are engaging residents finding out what their hopes and dreams are, helping understand how incrementalism can help the neighborhood evolve and achieve those goals. It's a fantastic story that I know, as you said in the beginning of this podcast, you know, a lot of us are facing similar challenges in our communities. Of course, every neighborhood is unique. We all have our own unique set of challenges and obstacles. But a program like Engage with Nona sounds like a fantastic start just to try to bridge that gap between public officials and you know, the constituents that they serve. It's a fantastic story, Luke. Thank you. I hope that we can only get it right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Luke, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you sharing the story of Winona, all the great things it's doing from its downtown to engaging its constituents to helping that next homegrown business find 
you know, the right storefronts to shine. I'm curious as we wrap up this podcast, you know, of course, when we talk about long-term prosperity, you know, it's talking about what are the first things that we can do today? Not so much the huge bets that may bankrupt us in the future, but what are just the small bets we can take today to make our community stronger? I'm curious for you, Luke, and the city of Winona, what do you think is that next step for y'all to, you know, kind of preserve that long-term prosperity? I think it's continuing to identify those opportunities as they come up. And that, that sounds like a bland answer or maybe a cliche answer, but I think it's a, it's a more difficult problem than a lot of communities realize. Uh, identifying what could be the next major reinvestment area, not just one major reinvestment. You know, it's not necessarily going to be a city block, but it might be that guy who wants to put, you know, four units above their their coffee shop or or it might be that next guy who just wants to open a pizza shop. Maybe it's one floor, but it's a huge community boon when that happens. And no city is ever going to have some magic, you know, crystal ball that can show where that investment is going to be when you have an engaged citizenry or when you have um, people that are going to try and make the best use of their own resources. And I think making sure that we have a platform where we can work with those people when they identify the right spot to invest is going to be the next chapter of Winona and the most important chapter of Winona. We're seeing a great building boom right now, probably our best since the early 1900s. But we know that a lot of that has just been the easy wins at this point. And we need to make sure that the next conversations, which are going to be a little bit harder, are going to be able to happen, one, and then two, become successful. And I, I wish I had a perfect answer to that. I wish that I could just say, yep, we're going to start building down near where the new bridge is, or we're going to go ahead and invest in everything right around this great parks corridor. And I hope that we do invest in these areas. I, I hope that we can enhance things like having an ice climbing wall that connects into a great bike lane network. But I think that it really comes from individuals who see a need for their resources to work better for them and work better for the community. And we just need to make sure that we have a platform on which they can build that wealth themselves. Beautiful, Luke. Well, Luke, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you hopping on a early Friday morning podcast with me to talk about all the good stuff happening with Nona. Um, for folk that want to learn more about your community, perhaps some of the great organizations and initiatives that you've mentioned in between this time of voting, I think we'll release this podcast on Tuesday, then voting ends on Friday. Is there anywhere else on the internet you'd like to share where people can, you know, get some more insights into what's happening in Winona? Yeah, they should definitely pop over to the Visit Winona website. I think that Visit Winona has done a phenomenal job. Uh, they, they're cheeky, they're fun, they continue to highlight uh, great aspects of Winona as a community. Uh, checking them out would be great. That's a great first step. And then spend some time. If you're going to be looking around at Winona, I know that Google, the Google car doesn't come through here very often, but spend some time walking around on Street View. Uh, I think that I think that the city speaks for itself. And I think that that's a really great testament to just how well things have continued to develop. When you have small blocks and you have great houses and you have great corner stores, people can just experience that. Fantastic. Luke, thank you, friend. This has been a joy. I appreciate taking some time to share all the good stuff happening with Nona. We will chat very soon. Thank you, Jacob. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Luke. 
Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed listening to the story of the steps this community has taken to become more financially strong and resilient. Voting is now open to decide who will advance to the final round of the Strongest Town competition. You can submit your vote at strongtowns.org slash journal slash final four. And you have until Friday, March 27th at 12 p.m. Central Time to submit your vote. Thanks for listening, everyone. Talk soon. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made this city? The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.